Let me invite you to open up God's word with me this morning to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 5 today. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find this text on page 47. But today we do continue in Exodus. We've been in Exodus for a few weeks now, and today we continue under uh, a new series title, uh, Gospel Promises. The word gospel is used widely today, both in and out of church circles, but by gospel we mean the good news of salvation in Jesus. In fact, this is uh, the central message of the Bible. We talk about a lot of things in church, we talk about a lot of things as people of faith, but this is the message that we want to be about. And so even right here in Exodus, uh, even in the second book of the Bible, As we read a story that took place nearly 1,500 years before Jesus is born in Bethlehem, uh, God was at work toward fulfilling the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so church, that's the lens that we bring to the table. That's the lens that we bring to the text as Christians. So with Christ in mind, let's look at the book of Exodus. And as you find your place there in Exodus chapter 5, let me invite you, as is our practice here, to join me uh, standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy word. And remember that here's the the scene. Uh, God has appeared to Moses through the burning bush in the wilderness, and God has said, I've remembered my people, and I've heard their cries for help, and I'm sending you, Moses, to go and to deliver them. And Moses uh, questions God, but eventually Moses decides he, he better go, he better obey God, so he goes. Aaron, and his brother, goes with him, and they go and they uh, gather the Israelite elders together. And uh, chapter 4 ends with the elders of Israel believing their message and worshiping their God, just as God had said they would. And now we pick up the story in chapter 5, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. The Bible reads this way. It says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. Verse 4, But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. And Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Verse 10, then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding 
why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy. That's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. And when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Would you bow with me, church? Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you for this text. We thank you for your word. We thank you for being a God who has spoken and a God who speaks. And so, Lord, even now, we pray that you would speak to us by the presence and power of your spirit, that we might rightly hear from you and understand the truths of your word and apply them to our lives as your people living today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We know there's a popular myth circulating uh, today that's been broadcast widely through certain uh, television personalities and ministries. And it says this, it says, if you have faith, your life will be good. God wants you to be rich and healthy, and it's up to you to believe in him enough to make that happen. And that sounds really good. I mean, who doesn't want the good life? Only problem with that is that it's simply not true. You see, the word of God tells us, this story tells us, and many other stories like it in God's word tell us that obedience to God's call does not mean your life will be easy. Obedience to God's call does not mean your life will be easy. When something goes wrong in life, as it often does, the loss of a job, the death of a loved one, an unfaithful spouse, children who are bullied, a cancer diagnosis, we tend to ask God, why? Why me? What did I do to deserve this? What can I do to correct this? I know we often come to church in our, our Sunday uh, best. We come in our Sunday best from the smiles on our faces to the shoes on our feet. But this is no place, church, to put on a mask. In fact, this ought to be a safe place to share struggles and, and to admit failures and flaws with one another and to, to ask for help, to receive help. I don't know that some of that happens here and certainly happens through relationships that are made here. But let's do whatever we need to, church, to establish and strengthen and deepen healthy friendships in the faith among believers who are part of Meadowbrook Baptist Church. So let's be honest with each other. Life isn't easy. Marriage isn't easy. Marriage is hard. Parenting is challenging. Chronic sickness is depressing. Loneliness is pervasive. Peer pressure is crushing for students who are committed to following Jesus Christ. So let's be honest with each other. There's more to following Jesus than sitting around a campfire and singing Kumbaya. We live in a dark world with disease and devastation and death. And God's people are not immune from these things. We are not immune from difficulty. In fact, I think we can make a solid case from 
experience in, in the Word of God that difficulty is the norm in this life. And many of those difficulties are minor. Many of them perhaps are not worth fretting over. They're not worth worrying about or sharing with others. But oftentimes those difficulties are utterly devastating. Many moons ago there was a man who lived life with difficulties that were utterly devastating. A man who seemed to have everything. He had far more than anyone in the land. More possessions. He had had it all. And then he lost it all in a single day. Attacked and robbed. His prized possessions were stolen and his children were killed. Every one of them. You perhaps know this man's name was Job. The Bible says that this Job got up and he tore his robe. He shaved his head. These are signs of grief. And then he fell to the ground in worship and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. The Bible says that in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. But there's absolutely no doubt that Job was devastated. He was grieving deeply. He was broken. And and you may be heartbroken this morning. You may be hurting today. You may be angry today. You may be frustrated today. You may be bitter today. Where do you turn for help? Where do you turn for help? Who do you turn to for help? The Word of God reminds us that in the midst of pain, we must remember who God is. Remember who He is. You see, when Moses and Aaron obeyed God and went to Pharaoh, they went to the king. The Lord went with them, but He did not immediately remove every obstacle in their path. He did not all all of a sudden take every difficulty away from them. And just as God had said in chapter 3 and chapter 4, the king of Egypt would not let his slaves go. But who would? It shouldn't surprise us. When you're the most powerful king in the world with a vast empire and hundreds of thousands of slaves, who could possibly oppose you? You're the center of your universe. When your very position as emperor makes you a god to your people, what could possibly stand in your way? You see, only a greater king, only a more powerful sovereign, only a higher god. Pharaoh responded, verse 2, he said, who is the Lord? Who's Yahweh? Who's this guy? Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let the Israelites go? He said, I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Here it is, the central question of the book of Exodus Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Do you know the Lord? Friend, do you know the Lord? Do you know the one who described himself in chapter 3, verse 14, as the I am, the all-sufficient, self-existent one? The one, chapter 5, verse 3, who is the God of the Hebrews, who came down to meet with his people. He is the Lord our God, Moses and Aaron say. You see, Pharaoh didn't know him, but he would soon enough. Perhaps you don't know him today. You, you will soon enough. But on that day, the day of his return, the day of his judgment, it will be too late to decide to serve him. It will be too late to submit to him. Serve him now. Acknowledge him now. Trust him now. Follow him now. And as you serve him, remember who he is. And also, remember what he has said. Friend, remember what God has said. You see, God appears to Moses and He says to him back in chapter 3, verse 7, God says, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. 
In other words, what's happening to them is, is not beyond my knowledge. I, I've seen their misery. I've heard them crying out. And I am concerned about their suffering. And so he says, so I have come down to rescue them. In other words, this is my plan. I'm acting on my promises. So go, Moses. I am sending you. You are my messenger. You're my human agent to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And, and Moses goes. Not right away. Quite a bit of questioning, quite a bit of excuse making, but eventually Moses realizes that he has no choice but to respond to God's commission and he goes. And he goes, he he goes knowing that Yahweh is the Lord and that Yahweh loves his people and that Yahweh is a just judge and that Yahweh is with them. And he goes to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he says, verse three, he says, now let us take a three day journey. Let my people, let the Lord's people take a journey into the wilderness to, to worship him. Or else he may strike us with plagues, he says, or with the sword. In other words, Pharaoh, let us go or it's not going to go well for us or for you. This is God's plan to deliver his people from slavery. And this is your warning. Get on board, Pharaoh, with his plan. And somehow, and we don't we don't know other than the providence of God. Somehow Moses and Aaron gain a hearing Before the king of Egypt, before the Pharaoh, before the most powerful man in the land. And they tell him who God is and what God has said. But Pharaoh doesn't listen. The king doesn't listen. And even though the Lord had told them that this would be the case, that that he wouldn't let the Israelites go unless a mighty hand compels him. Even so, this must have been devastating. This must have been discouraging. This must have been heartbreaking. They go to Pharaoh and say, let, my, let, let the Lord's people go. Let them go worship him. And Pharaoh says, no, none of it. I, I don't know him and I'm not going to let them go. You can imagine Moses and Aaron sort of looking at each other. What do we do now? What do we say now? But they press on. Between verses 2 and 3, they, they show resolve. They show commitment and courage. They show dedication to the Lord. Finally, Moses was obedient to God's call, even when it wasn't easy. And in such a time, the Spirit of God must have said to these two brothers, keep serving the Lord. And likewise, friend, keep serving Him. Keep serving Him. I don't know what joys and sorrows that you bring to our gathering this morning, but no doubt there are many of them. For some of you, life is going well. It's going smooth. It's going easy. And for others, it's heartbreaking you're discouraged today and whatever the case the word of god calls upon the people of god to keep serving the lord to remain steadfast to stay the course to remain faithful you see something happened something changed the bashful moses was now the bold messenger of god and what had happened was he had met the living god he'd encountered The great I am. He had encountered God and he began trusting in the promises of God, much like the disciples of our Lord Jesus did. And remember that these men who spent day in and day out for three years or so with Jesus, they betrayed him, they abandoned him in his darkest hour. Yet only weeks later, they risked their very lives to spread the news of his life, of his resurrection. Acts chapter 4 tells this story when the leaders who opposed and crucified Jesus, uh, Acts uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 13, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, just like you and me. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. 
You see, because they opposed Christ, they opposed Christ's followers. And there was no doubt, according to the word, that these men, these disciples, were followers of Jesus, ones who had been with Jesus, it says. And upon their release from jail, they gather with other believers and they pray. And Luke says in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, he says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. In the face of persecution and the face of oppression, they spoke the word. They remained faithful to the Lord. They kept serving the Lord even when it wasn't easy. They kept serving the Lord even when they faced pressure to do otherwise. They kept serving the Lord through circumstances that must have been discouraging. Do you serve the Lord even when it isn't easy? Are you committed to him? Is your life laid before him? Are you willing to do what he calls you to do, to go where he leads you? Are you willing to serve him no matter what? You see, part of serving the Lord means turning to the Lord in the midst of discouragement. Serving the Lord means turning to him in the midst of discouragement. So return back to the story with me, Exodus chapter 5. You see, in response to Moses' message to the people, to Pharaoh from the Lord... Pharaoh, the king, dumps tremendous oppression upon the people. They are already enslaved. They're already considered cheap labor and treated as property. And now the king orders his slave drivers to make the work even harder for the people. Presumably so that they won't have time or energy to think about worshiping their God or rebelling in any way. The text says, verse 10, Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. I've been giving you straw no more. You're on your own. Go, gather it yourselves. Make just as many bricks. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required for you, just as when you had straw. See, the Egyptians used bricks for all kinds of, of buildings. They used bricks for palaces. They used... Bricks for temples, they used bricks for storehouses and military buildings and for certain residences. And the straw reinforced the clay in the bricks, helping the bricks stay intact. They needed millions of bricks to keep up with their building projects. So they utilized the Hebrews and other slaves as brick workers. In fact, listen to how one scholar summarizes the harsh conditions of the enslaved in Egypt. Howard Voss writes, he says, they worked in the hot Egyptian sun all day, often in temperatures over 100 degrees, driven to optimum production by their taskmasters. They had no hats to protect their heads and wore nothing but a brief kilt or apron on their bodies. He says a wealthy Egyptian father talked with his son about the condition of their bricklayers. He observed that their, quote, kidneys suffer because they are out in the sun with no clothes on. Their hands are, quote, torn to ribbons by the cruel work. And they have to, quote, knead all sorts of muck. Certainly no one stood by to give the workers a drink every few minutes. It doesn't take much imagination to conclude that the severe rigor imposed on the Hebrews resulted in many of them dying from dehydration, heat prostration, heat stroke, and the like. In fact, remember that these harsh conditions are what led Moses to lash out at the slave driver in Exodus chapter 2 and ultimately flee as a fugitive from Egypt for his own life. And now in response, 40 years later, in response to Moses' obedience and Aaron's obedience to God, they're doing what God has asked them to do. In response to their obedience, things go from bad to worse. 
Obedience to God's call does not mean your life will be easy. But instead of crying out to the Lord for help, which is what they should have done, instead of crying out to the Lord for help, the Hebrew overseers cry out to Pharaoh, the king for help. The text says, verse 15, they appealed to Pharaoh before turning on Moses and Aaron, verse 21. David prayed in Psalm 86. He said, hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. You see, the Psalms of Lament provide the proper model. They provide the the right practice when we're paralyzed by pain or surrounded by enemies or trapped by danger. Serving the Lord means turning to Him in the midst of discouragement. Expressing disappointment to God is part of growing in the faith. Where do you turn for help? Who do you turn to for help? Who do you run to for help? Who do you talk to when you need help? You know, sometimes we know we need help. When we lose our job, we know we need help. Our marriage is on the brink of collapse. We know we need help. When the scan says tumor, you know you need help. When your child is being bullied and it's out of your control, you know you need help. But other times, church, we need help knowing that we even need help. We don't know that we need help. You ever needed help and not even known it? Ever run out of gas on the highway? Steve's willing to admit it. Nobody else. Well, I've held it in. I haven't admitted it, but that was me last week. Last weekend, eight days ago, never run out of gas, run out of gas. And I'm not talking about like right around here where you can call somebody for help. I'm talking about like uh, just inside the Alabama state line coming from Mississippi. I'd been in Arkansas for a couple days uh, and traveling. By the way, how about those Razorbacks? Somehow, some way, Auburn squeaked it by us yesterday. But I know you Crimson Tide fans are worried about the big game this weekend. No, but was traveling down the road by myself. I was coming back for uh, a, 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 a celebration of life service, Miss Jane Carpenter's service last uh, weekend, and had timed this out. I uh, uh, had plenty of time. Everything was going to be good. And uh, I, I've traveled this road enough. I know where the stops are in certain places. There are not many places to stop, but I know the key stops. And I had mapped this out. I've been watching the range on the car. And I know I can get to Fulton, Mississippi and perhaps Winfield, Alabama. And as I get closer, I see I'm getting pretty good gas mileage. The range has me covered. I'm going to Winfield. Exit 30 in Alabama. Cruising down the road, hit the Alabama state line. And all of a sudden, the range disappears. And it says, fuel warning, whatever else it said. I wouldn't know. I disregarded that message. I have calculated this. I know where I'm going. I'm fine. I've been looking. I know that I'm going to have, if all goes as it's been going, I should have 30, 35 miles left in the tank when I get to Winfield. And so that's what I'm counting on. I'm cruising down the highway, listening to an audio book, not a worry in mind, coming up on the final few miles. All of a sudden, cruise shuts off. Car starts doing this number. And in a matter of seconds, I'm down to zero, coasting off the side of the interstate. I get out. I'm thinking, now what? Everybody else is flying by. I needed help and I didn't even know it. And so I locked the car and I crest the hill and I see just up ahead the exit 31 mile. That's where I'm going. 
Not too far. I can do this. And so I take off in a little jog, headed toward the exit. I get about 100 miles down the road and a van pulls off in front of me. Saying, thank you, Lord. Get up. The Hispanic lady rolls down the window and she says, do you need help? Yes. I now know I need help. Says, get in. And she takes it from there. 30 minutes or so later, I'll spare you the details. It's a whole another story in of itself. Two gas stations later, finally a, a container, not a gas container, by the way, a container of gas. Get back and get back on the highway and, and all goes fine. But sometimes we don't even know the kind of help that we need. Sometimes we, we know we're in straits, but other times we need someone to tell us to hit us upside the head, to tell us that we're in a predicament like the Israelites in Egypt, that we are in bondage and in need of deliverance, that we're in need of help, that we are enslaved to sin and under the weight of our own guilt before a perfectly just and holy and righteous God. Friends, this particular story is not just a story about an ancient people who were oppressed and burned in Egypt. This is a story of God's unfailing love for you and for me. This is a story about a race, the human race, under an oppressive taskmaster and in need of great help. This is a story that in the grand story of the Bible is meant to lead you and me to see sin as our taskmaster. So see sin as your taskmaster. And what is sin? Sin is anything that we do that dishonors God or anything that we don't do that God has asked us to do. And Jesus himself taught the sinners. And that's all of us gathered in this room this morning. Jesus taught the sinners are enslaved by sin. That's what he said. The Bible teaches that apart from a Savior, we are all slaves. We are oppressed and overcome by our inability to resist the lure of sin and honor the God who made us. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John chapter 8, verse 34. He said, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus says we're slaves to sin. Likewise, the Apostle Paul in Titus chapter 3, verse 3 said, At one time, he's speaking to Christians, he's speaking to the church, to believers, people of faith. He says, at one time, we too were foolish. He says, we were disobedient, we were deceived, and we were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. He says, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But believers don't remain enslaved. God's people don't stay slaves because he sets us free. God is a God who delivers. He's a God who rescues, who redeems. All by his grace displayed through the death of his son, our Savior. The author of Hebrews spells this out for us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. He writes, he says, since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity. In other words, he became like us, fully human. So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Verse 15, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We sing this truth, do we not? Jesus breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the phallus clean. His blood avail for me. Friend, the Bible teaches that those sinners are slaves. We don't need to remain that way. 
We don't need to remain in that condition because there's a Savior sent from heaven to rescue the hurting, to exonerate our guilt by taking it upon himself and to change our hearts, bringing us freedom from sin and death. Jesus Christ the Lord is that Savior. He is the Moses of our salvation. And though this story leads us to see sin as our taskmaster in the greater context of God's word, it calls us to see Jesus the Christ as our Savior. So see Jesus as your Savior. Don't look elsewhere. Don't depend upon your good works. They will not save you. In fact, no one else can save you. And rather than praying for God to deliver them, these Israelite overseers, these foremen begged Pharaoh to make their bondage easier to bear. When when trouble comes, where do you turn? Do you ever run after a false savior? Do you ever look for someone or something else to do for you what only Christ can do for you? Perhaps religion, perhaps career, perhaps money, perhaps a relationship. Friend, only Christ can save you. Jesus alone can save us. Jesus alone will save you. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, scriptures say. So let me ask you this morning, have you called upon him? Have you said, Lord, I need help. Save me. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Have have you recognized that you're in need of help? Friend, we're sinners and we're in need of help. And the Bible is loud and clear that God is our help. He is our help. You see, in this story, he was coming down to deliver a people. To rescue a people who were in bondage. Coming down to deliver the Israelites, the Hebrews. And the truth is, he has also now come down to deliver you. He is our help. Cry out to him. For salvation. Would you bow with me? And save us, O oh God, we pray. Save us because we are in need of help. Lord, apart from you and your gracious intervention, we are enslaved to sin, ruled by it, ruled by desires and choices and thoughts that are not honoring to you, and we have fallen short of your standard. And yet, even so, Lord, you are a God who redeems, who rescues. Lord, you are a God who who comes down. Save us, we pray. Forgive us for your glory. Or grant us a resolve to trust you and to live for you through the joys and the sorrows that we face in this life. And may we long for a future day. May we long for a day that you will indeed where you will indeed come and deliver us into the true promised land, where we will be gathered in your presence with your people, serving you, enjoying you, delighting in you for all of eternity. Lord, may our time here, and especially may our time gathered as the church, may it be training ground, may it be preparation for that day. Lord, lead us to love you, And to cry out to you for help. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.